Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for another issue of the Church Planner Podcast, or edition, I should say, or episode, whatever you want to call these things, which, you know, Peyton, I've actually missed not doing our daily podcast. It's it's kind of been a letdown for me. Yeah, I'm going through withdrawals, but I do like the fact that, you know, we can screw around more now. We had to be really serious when we were interviewing all those guys. We did. We did. I mean, you can only make so many jokes when Philip Yancey's on, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey. Um, we have an awesome guest today. Um, of course, we say that about everybody, but in this case, it's actually true. We got Hugh Halter on. Hugh has just had a, a, a book that's come out. It's called Flesh, Bringing the Incarnation Down to Earth. And anything that Hugh's written so far that I've picked up has definitely been worth reading. So, Hugh, welcome onto the podcast, man. It's great to have you. Glad to be here, boys. Yeah, Hugh, tell us a little bit about the the book and kind of your burden and, you know, what you, uh, you know, what what was your passion behind this? What what made you want to yeah. write this book? Yeah, really, I mean, if most people followed us, we started with this Tangible Kingdom book that was more about kind of missional community and how that turned into church. And then, you know, last five years has been all helping existing churches try to move more missional. But at the end of the day, I realized this may go nowhere. I mean, this whole missional community thing, uh, whole missional church thing, could die a quick death if we don't start very quickly inserting the word incarnational back into the, I guess, the idea of what it means to, to be a disciple and, and what community should be doing anyway. So, um, and, and basically, the uh, bottom line is people just don't know how to relate to the world very well. The uh, world does not necessarily respect the Christian movement anymore. Um, and I really think that comes down to the issue that we're not living like Jesus anymore. So, uh, you know, the the flesh idea comes from John one fourteen, and the Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. 
And because of that, it says we were able to perceive the glory of God full of grace and truth. And so as, as we're trying to reintroduce the idea of incarnation, we're trying to let people know Jesus did not just come to earth to die for you. He actually came to also teach you how to live your life and be a better human in the way of Jesus. And, and so that's what the book's about. We're trying to actually maybe get the missional conversation down to the person to person level where they're actually going to change the way that they live. And, uh, and I think a lot of the stuff that Jesus does, clearly we can't do, we can't die on a cross. We can't, you know, do miracles like he does. And, or at least, you know, I can't, but, um, a lot of what he does is very doable. And so the book is basically walking you through kind of a, I guess a five part step kind of lets you know how Jesus entered humanity and, and we can do it. And so I'll give you a brief outline and you guys can throw some questions, but it goes essentially incarnation leads to reputation, which leads to a conversation, which leads naturally to confrontation of sin. And then finally the transformation and what what we're kind of experiencing maybe the last 30, 40 years is Christians are known for trying to get to the confrontation thing like really fast. Um, and we don't actually care much about living what Jesus lived to get there. And so um, the book's actually pretty simple, but it is saying I think we've got to reenter humanity like Jesus did. You know, I, I, I like I like what you said on so many levels. One of them um, was you, you started off saying, you know, we we don't know how to relate uh, to people in the world. And, and, and that's so true. Um, every month in church planner magazine, we've tried to, um, include, uh, an article from somebody who isn't a Christian just writing about, you know, how they see the whole thing. And, uh, and it's been really hard because the first guy we had writing was, you know, he was an addict. And then I just got an article in and it's, it's a bit of a rant really, but it's a, it's a guy who's an atheist who's just saying, you know what, I know the scriptures, I've read a lot of stuff um, from your faith, and you guys are pissed off all the time. And he's just like, you just, you don't, you don't look like Christians to me. I'm sorry, I know what a Christian is from my studies, and what I'm seeing out there, you know, ain't Christianity. And that's kind of, uh, that's kind of what you're saying on one level is... uh, Pretty much. Yep. You know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Peyton. In ten years, if I heard if I've heard somebody from, you know, the non-Christian world actually say something positive about us. So, um, you know, there may be a few good, you know, people that have had you know things said about them. But we've got a we've got a systemic problem that people seem to be drawn to Jesus, but they're not drawn to us. And and that begs the question: Are we actually even living like He lives? So, one of the one of the things that we try to put forth as a discipleship paradigm is Jesus, uh, you know, he actually would say, um, do as I did, or he would oftentimes say, do likewise. First um, John 2 says, if you claim to be in him. So if you actually claim to be a Christian, you must walk as Jesus walked. Uh, the Apostle Paul said to a small group of people he was pastoring, he said, look, I'm going to stay with you guys until Christ be formed in you. And then Galatians again, he says, you know, it's not I that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And so um, once you see this paradigm that the incarnation is for you to live, you start to actually go, oh, that's what being a, a Christian is. I literally get to live his life. And I think if we started to do that, we would it would change the street cred. I think, I think literally the church would be changed uh, relatively fast if we could get this. Yeah. I, so, you know, you talk about like missional community and stuff. Um, 
I think it's important that you're clarifying because one of the dangers right now with that whole conversation is that um, people are just adopting vocabulary. And, and, and I, can, I can understand your heart where you said, look, you know, I, I didn't just want at the end of this whole journey starting with tangible kingdom for it just to end up with people just, just talking certain words. So like, you know, like our, our buddies, we, we love uh, Brad Briscoe and Lance Ford, right? We, we dig yeah. those guys. And I read their book, The Missional Quest. And I thought, well, that's good because it, it, it actually redefines it for guys that have just picked up the vocabulary but have no idea what they're saying. And I saw a video right. the other day where some guys were, uh, they had gone out and they were just throwing the lingo around. Um, and, and, and they were the geekiest guys, you know, on the planet. They're trying to sound hip and they kept saying, you know, we're doing life together and boom. They had no clue what they're talking about, you know? Yep. And, uh, the thing is, is that when you're writing a book like this, the impression I'm getting is that what you're saying is, Hey, let's take it, you know, down to grassroots and let's live it. And that this book is kind of a gateway from people talking and just, you know, speaking new vocabulary words into very practically, this is what it looks like to live this. And I think that's yeah. been missing in the conversation, Hugh. And, you know, even in the church plant world, you know, whether we're trying to renovate a church and, you know, through missional communities or we're planting a church and we start a core group, what we oftentimes find is that you basically have a lot of non-incarnational Christians that are trying to do this venture with you that's more missional, right? And it just falls flat because literally the people don't want to go hang out with people or they don't feel comfortable with people. So, you know, what we tried to do, in, you know, at the end of each chapter is actually give you kind of a think, a feel, and a do, you know, something to process mm -hmm. together, something to actually, you know, deeply think about, but then some stuff to do. And just like the TK Prime that we use, we don't think actually people will ever change until they grab some friends and go do an activity together. So all of our paradigm is based on that idea. And so, you know, just like the Prime where you literally could grab 10 friends and go, let's walk through the flesh book, but let's actually do the do things and see what happens. That's awesome. So define define for the listeners kind of what you mean by incarnational and, and give us some examples about some of the stuff that you call yeah, folks right. to do. The basic, the basic doctrine of the incarnation is to take on flesh, right? So Jesus became human. Um, another way to think about that would be to embody uh, an idea or to bring some reality to the rhetoric. It's, it's literally just being what is said, right? And so if we're going to be incarnational, it means that we actually have to show what we talk about. That's, that's all that is. You know, I mean, most of us would go, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But, you know, from the great commandment to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, you know, I'd say nine out of 10 Christians don't do that one. That's the great, <laughs> the great commandment. Um, you know, we uh, try to do the love the Lord your God thing by singing on Sunday, but you know, the neighbor thing now, uh, pure religion, James says, is to look after orphans and widows. Most of us don't do that. So um, clearly we don't do most of what Jesus actually said to do. So a couple of things like I could walk you through um, when we get into the reputation part of the book, we're actually going to show you the things that Jesus did that got him good street cred. And uh, like one of, the, one of the chapters is called Workman's Comp, where we actually just talk about Jesus submitting to the curse of work, you know, from the, uh, Adam sinning, screwing up the whole world, and you know we're we're now told we actually have to struggle to make a living and work on the land. And it's amazing to think that a sinless God would actually submit to the curse and work at 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. You know, as a stonemason. 
And uh, so we're going to try to reveal that your workplace is a highly incarnational thing, not just the, the workplace, but the work you do, the money you earn, and uh, give you some ways to learn how to leverage kind of the Bible thing, you know, how to leverage all of your life into to one call. And we, we talk a lot about picking fights in public. That, uh, Jesus got some street cred because he turned some tables over in the temple and people were like, holy crap, did you hear what the guy did? Like he's fighting <laughs> for the right thing. So we're, we're saying to Christians, like, pick a fight. Like a lot of things in the world, the world is waiting for us to go help with. So get in there. We talk of one chapter called Public House, where we actually say every house is to be a pub and how to actually set that up, how to do that. Um, so those are just a couple ideas. So it's pretty practical stuff. It's 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 really about your life, your home, your work, and uh, we eventually get into that conversation piece. Probably the crux of the book is that everything Jesus did, you know, and and especially being a friend of sinners, that's primary reputation piece. He did all those things so that he eventually get a conversation with people and a conversation between trusted friends. That's that's kind of the goal of the whole book. I think it's the whole goal of the incarnation. And uh, so maybe, you know, as we process, hey, have, have we had conversations with people that aren't in the church? And we go, well, no, then we might have to go back and, and begin where incarnation starts, and that is to drop into the lives of people again. That's awesome. What did you mean? So, let me ask you, Hugh, what did you mean by um, turn every house into a pub? Well, you know, like we all know the term pub, it just means, you know, public house. Um, and so if you go to Ireland or, you know, side of Boston, you know, the idea of, of, a, is a, of a pub is that every neighborhood has their own little place, right? And it's a gathering place. And what we're doing in that, in that chapter is trying to actually help people understand the power of true hospitality. And we go out the American kind of individualistic thing there where we don't really want people to come into our home, but we actually show if you're going to be incarnational, you're going to have to learn, you know, regardless of whether or not you're introvert or extrovert, you have to learn how to do, do the house thing and do the food thing. Yeah. And, uh, it's, you know, it's really not about having a beer, although that does help most of the time. So Okay. As long as, as long as that's included, I'm all right. Yep. You know, having a beer takes the edge off of an evangelistic tension like nothing else. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but, you know, people want to dispute that. You know that John Wesley, you know, he, he funded his mission with by owning two breweries. It's, it's just a fact. You know, it's funny, Hugh, because, um, you know, when I lived in Europe, right, I was there for 12 years. And, you know, I, I went there and when I first got there, it's kind of like the, if you go to France, you know, Christians are going to drink wine. You go there, uh, Christians drink beer. And um, Pete, can you tell your dog to be quiet, please? That wasn't yeah, mine. I was going to say. That wasn't Let mine. Let me kick the dog. This is, this is a podcast, Pete. We're, we're trying to be professional here. That was actually my dog. So anyway, it's usually Pete's doggo. But, but here's the deal. So living over there, you know, it was like um, exactly what you said. Your community was found in the pub. In fact, more uh, community was found in the pub than it was actually in the church. And if, yeah. if you don't go to the pub and if you don't drink in the pub, you're probably not going to have too many conversations. Exactly. Right? And, you know, like you, you mentioned about like the, uh, the individualistic thing. Right. Um, we go to Starbucks and everyone just kind of, you know, hovers off in their own little corner. Uh, whereas for us, right. Like, I mean, for the, I was about to say us for, for the Brits, right. Um, you go to the pub and everybody's talking and it's multi-generational. It's every walk of life. Um, it's what people call their local. 
And that we found when we were over there, once we could harness that, and we were like, hey, this this whole community everyone's talking about, it's already there. You know, it's already built. So we yep. started doing stuff in the pubs. And um, that's where you'd go. And, of course, Jesus was doing that. You know, I, I know, I know we've got some listeners right now that are going, <gasps> the pub, beer, you know. And yet, you know, the reality is um, that's exactly what people busted Jesus for. Well, here's, a, here's a great, great thought from the book and from the big book. One of the scriptures <laughs> I love the most about the incarnation it says, and Jesus came eating and drinking. Like he actually flew in on the spaceship <laughs> uh, eating and drinking. That's, that's how he entered the stratosphere and the atmosphere, you know? And so, you know, I'm not sure how we have come to people. We come with a Bible in hand or we come with a mega horn or whatever, but he comes with, you know, a burger and a beer and sits down. It said that his, his actual reputation was that of a drunkard and a glutton. And I don't know about you, but I know you don't get a reputation like that by doing an occasional outreach program to lost people. You you only sure. get a reputation like that because pretty much every day after work, he was with his friends at the place, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, with your, uh, even with your book, um, sacrilege, right? Um, my, my favorite part, if you haven't read sacrilege, um, you should grab that book and just read the first chapter. It might even been the introduction where, um, my favorite evangelism story ever was when I read that book and your neighbor. <laughs> yep. I mean, the rest of the book was downhill, but that intro was good. But. <laughs> hey, I, I was, I was going to say, I'm not going to spoil it because I think people ought to pick the book up. It's a book about the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, but uh, you got to read that intro. That actually was a book about the Incarnation, but I felt like I had to side door it. I, I do feel like people still missed, even in that book, uh, actually learning what the word Incarnation means. That's why I thought we just have to go at the word right now and try to really outline it for people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I Googled your book, uh, Flesh. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, it goes to... All kinds of stuff flesh. came up. That's okay. Okay. That's, that's part of the world. Might as well. I'm just teasing you, man. <laughs> Nothing came up. It just, it, it, you know, a definition of flesh came up. But what a hot title, man! Did you, uh, did you come up with that title yourself? Well, no. It just kind of came out of that scripture. You know, reading, reading the word became flesh. I just remember going, yeah, that's the title right there. So, right on, man. Well, so what? What's your kind of heart with this book? Like, as far as the goal. Let's say, for example, like someone picks us up. What's your goal for them? Well, my hope is, um, like, if I'm, you know, I'm a pastor. What I want all my people to know is how to how to do life, how to be human. Um, I want when they're out living that they live well and that they know how to celebrate and that people are drawn to them. I kind of feel like this: if people live like Jesus, you don't actually have to worry about anything else that you normally worry about when you're leading a church. Yeah, uh, it all kind of takes care of itself, right? Because Jesus was good news. So if you can make little Jesus people, then people are always going to be drawn to good news. So eventually, be drawn to your church because it'll be full of those good newsing type of people. Yeah. So you know what I'm hoping is that that pastors first of all go. Uh, if my job is to make a disciple, I actually have to, you know, define a disciple as somebody that lives like Jesus. And if that's my job, then I've got to somehow get some tools in their hands that can help them to actually rethink what Jesus lived like. There hasn't been a lot out there. We we give them a lot about who Jesus was, what he's going to do, 
when he comes back, what he did on the cross, but we hardly ever tell people, no, that's actually the, the definition of a disciple, so let's go watch how he lives and help you. So um, I would personally uh, make incarnation kind of the entry level to what a disciple is, like put it in your in your language, preach about it, but then give them some tools like flesh and some other things that will ha- actually help them to go practice the way of Jesus. And if I think if we can do that, then I think we're making some headway. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Christians, and this is going to sound really strange, and there's probably a bunch of different reasons for this. You may even get into them in flesh, but uh, there's a bunch of different reasons, you know. But but the fact is the same of of you know of, of what's happened, and that's it. The average Christian doesn't know how to live as a Christian. You know, how should we then live? I mean, that's the big yeah. question. A lot of people don't know. Like, how am I supposed to actually do this thing? Like, okay, like you said, people have a head full of theology. You can listen to sermon after sermon that um, has a lot of, uh, you know, kind of propositional truth, but no practical application. And uh, and and it's just refreshing to hear that you're, that's where your heart's at. You want to see this thing. Your motive was to get people on the ground living out this missional lifestyle and, um that you're actually giving them tools for how to do it. And, and, I, and I think, you know, like if, if you were to say, okay, what's one goal that every person would become, it would be that they would become full of grace and truth. Cause that's how Jesus came. Right. Amen. Um, but if you go, okay, we get the truth part. Um, but how do we do the grace? thing? How do we actually hang out with sinners like Jesus did? How, you know, and here's like a crazy thought uh, on the interview today. Somebody goes like, you know, what's one thing that could change the world if people took your book seriously? I said, well, uh, get this, Jesus, you know, the only person that never sinned, the perfect holy one was the least judgmental and most accepting person the world had ever met. So if Christians just tried to be like Jesus in that one setting or that one way, it would immediately change the street cred of what the Christian movement is. So um, I think that what they'll get out of the book is, what do you, what do you got there, a train going by? That that's my train. See, Pete has the dog, and I got the train. Holy cow! It's on me. <laughs> anyway, no, I mean that, to me, that's the one kicker: is people have to learn how to be uh, with sinners and also, you know, be a sinner and not be better than people. And I have a whole chapter just about the issue of not becoming self righteous, how to be a friend of sinners, and I think if they got that one, it's a game changer. Yeah, and and you mentioned the fact, you know, that uh, I mean, this one thing we do on this uh, podcast lot is we, you know, we're pretty real, and especially we parade Pete's sin. You know, we we let people see what what a sinner Pete is on here. That's it doesn't take much, man. Oh, it always that. helps to have a good sinner. <laughs> but you know, the the reality is that, uh, like, I'm I'm I've read the reviews on this, and and they've been the reviews. You know, you read reviews, and people are like, "Oh, it's a good book. I liked it," but. On this one, it, one of the your reviews, I, I hate to say this, but the guy's name, I hope he's not a friend of yours, but it's Kevin Colon. You know him? <laughs> I, I is, but I, okay, I do. All right, I'm not going to uh... say anything then about his name, but here's the <laughs> So Kevin, <laughs> my apologies, Kevin, but he wrote this. He said, this book helped me grasp the importance and power of my humanity. That is such a powerful statement right there. That statement alone makes me want to pick that book up and read it. The power of my yeah. humanity. And I think, you know, I'm, I know you're going to, you know, you're going to write a chapter on this right now, right, on on the podcast. But 
that right there has been personally powerful for me. Right. So, um, yeah, man, let, let it rip. Oh, uh, you know what I found, I was always taught you try to be godly, right? Yeah. Um, the problem with that is I sucked at that. I just was never very good at being godly. Um, what I'm finding in the life of Jesus is that he may not want us to try to be like that. Instead, he may just want us to try to learn how to be human like he was. And, and in that kind of the godly thing kind of gets a little bit better. You know, I'm not focused on sin management and trying not to do any big sins or do my devotion. I'm actually as focused as trying to, you know, figure out how to actually relate to people and grow in my faith as I do that. So, you know, I'm hoping it'll take some pressure off in some ways, but also add some pressure in the right ways. And, uh, I, ultimately, I think if you're going to actually become more like Jesus, I think you're going to be happier anyway. So this book's really not about just reaching lost people. This is about you deciding that you want to actually grow and be more like Jesus. So I hope, it, I hope it's perceived to be just as much about spiritual formation as it is about trying to change the world. Pete, what do you think about that? I'm just blown away by the whole concept because it just fits in nicely with what we've been talking about lately on the podcast and that of uh, you know being real with people. And sitting down with them and even, you know, how we disciple people. So, you know, I I hear what he's what he's dishing out. I'm picking up what he's throwing down, man, and I'm I'm down. I get it. And yeah. he said I could have a beer, right. so that's of course and great. Pete, you should probably go buy a thousand of these, don't you think? If you're like, <laughs> and if give you're them to my thousand uh, closest friends. Yeah. Well, you know, for me personally, I've mastered being godly. But I, th- I think for Pete, this would be a really helpful book. You know, like he can really, he needs, he needs justification for his carnality. I really do. I love it. Human. I really do. I love it. Hey, so tell your, tell your, or at least throw it out as you guys are doing your next half hour. Um, one of the things I'm going to do to try to make this a lot more practical for pastors, especially, is we're going to do a thing called 21 Days of Flesh, and. Um, and that's basically I'm going to give pastors four sermon outlines just on the incarnation. And then I'm going to give them 21 sort of incarnational devotions that they can send out daily to their people as they're, as they're actually reading the book together. So I'm actually proposing that they just do reading groups around this for a while in their small wow. groups, uh, just with groups of people. But then at the end, I do lead them to day 22, like what's after 21 days and um, we're trying to get people not to be individual incarnationalists. We don't actually mm-hmm. think you were made to do this by yourself. So everybody knows Missio and what we do. Everything we do drives towards incarnational community. And so what we're hoping is that as pastors, you know, get this going throughout their whole church, eventually they can recruit people to do something a little bit more than small groups. And that is incarnational communities where they do this together as friends. And that's really the story, you know, all the way back to Tangible Kingdom. That's creating incarnational communities. That, that's the story of the early church communities, the story of the Wesleyan communities, the story of Moravian communities, uh, monastic communities that changed the world. So um, if pastors really want to get this, where it's not a program or a reading that goes 21 days, they literally want to change the discipleship paradigm. Um, in about two weeks, we'll launch that on the Missio site, which is missio.us. They can just hit the flesh tab and you'll see the 20 days of flesh campaign. Um, and I'm also sort of availing myself to help out. So if churches want me to come do the kickoff sermon, the first of the four, um, they may want to consider that. And uh, I'll try to buzz out if I can and help them out. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it sounds to me, Hugh, like you've put together a tool that's actually um, really for a church planner. I mean, if you had a, a launch team or a core team, 
and uh, you were um, looking to kind of make sure that, you know, as you said, you got a bunch of people coming from other churches. They don't quite get it yet. This is almost kind of like a boot camp for them, for the type of mission. Yeah, I'd actually call this, it'd be a good filter before you actually have them as part of your core group. I'd say, read this book. Let us know if you're down with this. If they go, nah, it's a little bit weird for me. They're probably not going to be good in a church plant scenario. But if they go, yeah, I love it. This is what I want to do. Then, you know, what we generally do is then have church plant core groups go through the TK primer because then they actually start acting like an incarnational community. Yeah. Um, but I would, I would actually, I think I would put flesh before the TK primer, honestly, in people's experience, almost as your recruitment tool. Hmm. And that's what we do with pastors of, of churches that are trying to make the shift to, you know, let the book be sort of, you know, I mean, it's almost unfair to ask people to completely change their paradigm without giving them some kind of new concept. So I think it's fair with all of the people in your church to actually give them, give them a month to process through this and have a recruitment day where you say, hey, if you want to try this together, here's what we're going to do. And then they can start going through the TK primer. That's awesome. So if you guys are uh, wanting to get involved with this, you like like you said, you could go to the Missio site. You can um, buy the book on Amazon.com. It's what was the Missio Flash site the again? What What's was, that? Missio.us. Okay, cool. So it's we'll also it's, have all that on the uh, all that on the HughHalter.com site as well, so they could just go there if they forget. Killer. So go on there. Uh, check it out. We'll probably take our core groups through this because we've got like, you know, these missional communities, we call them COGS, and we'll probably start taking them through this as well. And uh, that sounds awesome, Hugh. Man, uh, thanks for coming on. If you want to book Hugh, he's going to be hitting the road pretty soon and uh, he's going to fill up fast. But if you're a church planner, you're like, oh, I can't afford him. Um, partner with your sending church and uh, ask them to help fund it. And get Hugh. Hugh's not a respecter of persons, and he will. Uh, he's not like, hey, only if you're big, baby. Um, he's got a I'm heart. Just a, I'm just a butthead to everybody, right? <laughs> I do not discriminate. So awesome, man. So book him, and you can contact him through HughHalter.com. And there's actually a place where you can say, hey, will Hugh come and speak for me? And grab him. He's awesome. In fact, uh, we're we're speaking back to back at. Uh, exponential in uh, Orlando and I've asked Hugh to please suck because he's an awesome speaker nice. and I gotta follow him so nice. you, you miss suck for me right like just a little bit you just tone it down a I bit. actually I actually do most of the time I get lucky every once in a while so <laughs> right on hey Hugh thanks for coming on man buy the book you bet, and guys. uh yeah check it out thanks man thanks you right. see you guys take care bye-bye all right well now that he's off we gotta talk Oof. about him now, now we can really say what we thought about that one. Glad to get rid of that guy, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to make us get to know sinners. <laughs> yeah, man. You know what, though? It, it's so cool. What he's saying is so true. And there's such a burden off when you start learning to do mission uh, as a real human being. Um, and, and here's the deal, right? Like I just, at one point he was talking, I was just thinking years ago, because, you know, I had to make the decision between, um, ticking Christians off and reaching people. Like we were talking about the beer thing. I was in a culture where everybody had a beer, you know, and uh, to this day, I've never gotten drunk. But I remember at one point hearing all the Pharisees. Oh, I can't say that. What's that? I said, I can't say that. Well, for me, because, you know, as a minister, um, I'll never forget joining the firefighters. Um, I was not a minister. You know, and, and the first question they asked me is, they're like, you're one of the guys, right? And I said, what do you mean? 
And they said, well, you're a minister. Are you one of the guys? And I said, yeah, I'm one of, but what do you mean? Like, what? And he goes, you go to the pub with us, right? Every time we're on a shout, we put a fire out. We go have a beer together, you know, just to debrief, decompress. I was like, yeah, man, totally. You know, let's, uh, you know, yeah, of course I will. Was that the first well, time you'd had a beer? No, definitely not. But uh, I cannot tell you the number of times where seeing someone converted meant me having a beer with them. Either started with that, um, and I'm like a one or two beer guy. Like, that's it for me, right? So I'm not like a big, I'm only little. But uh, but but I cannot tell you how many times that uh, people were kind of pharisaical about that. Like, if you got an addiction issue or you've been an alcoholic, hey, cool, whatever. But I think what Hugh's saying is just be a real human being with people. I don't think the book is about drinking, but but it just that's just one of the issues, you know, that comes up when we're talking about this. Well, it comes um, up a lot in our communities and our Christian culture because of America. It's not even this way in other parts of the world, but in America, drinking's a real issue and, you know, it's just seen as like this sin and I remember going to Biola and um there were I mean a lot of us pastors kids were there. And I remember this one guy, and he was like, yeah, you know, my mom believes that the devil lives in that bottle. I mean, you just have one sip, and you just let the devil right into your life. And certainly, I'm sure she had her experiences with it, maybe herself, or seeing how it's wrecked the lives of uh, someone else. But um, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't have to control you i mean you know me i'd love going out and having a beer but that's about all i do i mean i'd have a beer maybe two and um and that's about it and i i mean if you came to my house right now i don't have any beer in the fridge and that's because i'm i'm too poor (laughs) no that's because you go to islands and drink their beer i do and it's really expensive there i was there last (laughs) night they got a new brown ale on tap and i don't like it i like the old brown ale but you know that's beside the point it, it's so funny though, dude, because like, you know, I, I learned years ago when I was thinking, you know, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I just don't give a rip anymore. Like I spent so much of my ministry worrying about taking other Christians off. And I got to a point where I was like, you know what? You don't make any converts, you know, like, like, like Jesus said, you know, like where he said, you know, you won't lift a finger to help other men's burdens. You just keep adding them on. Um, I, I just, I remember at a certain point going, I'm seeing people say it, not because I drink beer. I mean, that, that's really not the soapbox I'm standing on. It's more, an, it's more an attitude that, uh, like my brother was saying, you know, about, you know, the angry Christians all the time. Um, it's, it's all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and you just, at a certain point, I realized they're not, they're not making converts like Moody. Someone once came to Moody and, uh, he was very theological and said, you know, I don't like the way that you're preaching the gospel, you know, you preach the gospel wrong, you know, there's certain ways to do it biblically and on and on. And uh, Moody said, well, how do you lead people to Christ? And the the person kind of gulped and, you know, was a little bit taken back and said, "Uh, well, I don't usually. (laughs) He said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. Right. That's it. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm actually really excited about this book. You know, um, have you read the book? It, Do you have it yet? I haven't. You know, I was trying to. It, it's it's rare that we interview someone, and I haven't read their book. And I was just so excited to get Hugh on here. Um, I mean, 
I, I dig you, man. I mean, he's, he's one of the dudes that you could hear it in him. Like the guy's just, he is what he is. Like he gets on here and he's just kind of mellow. He's always like that. Um, not a bunch of fuss, you know, he's, he's going to, uh, be going full time to train others, uh, to do what he does. And he's going to still hang out in his, in his missional community. And, uh, I don't know if I say it wrong, Adulam or Adilam. I, I don't know, you know, but that's what, that's, that's what it is. Um, but he's going to hang out there and just not, you know, he'll still be a part of the community, but he doesn't have to be anyone special. And that's what I dig. He has actually the embodiment of this book. That's how he lives. And everybody loves him, man. Cause he's, he's just a dude, you know? Well, he's he the whole like, reason. You know, Hugh Halter, writer of many books. And yet it's probably like Jesus, man, where you just meet him and you're just like, he's just a dude, you know? <laughs> I'm so, sure you just compared Hugh to Jesus. He'll love that. It's just well, that's like what his book's Jesus. about. Well, that's actually what his book is about, though. It, the subtitle is "Learning to Be Human Like Jesus," and I, I think he's just kind of tapped into um, something important in ministry, which is like you don't got to be Jesus. God welcomes you into being human, which this podcast does, right? I mean, that's kind of that's kind of where I came years. Ago. That's why in the podcast we're very much ourselves, because you know we kind of believe that um, you can either pretend to be something you're not. Or you can be authentic and real. I mean, you don't sacrifice holiness, but, you know, then again, you know, holiness is incarnational. God wants to reveal who he is through you. And he doesn't want you to become a Stepford wife in order to do it. You don't got to become some robotic creature, you know? Yeah. Like, you, you, you know, levity, brother, levity. We must not have levity. You know, I've, I've heard people say that, like they're out of the 17th century when I was serving in a in the reform circles, I just remember going, are you like 300 years old or something? Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting for me because gr- growing up in the type of household that I grew up in, going to the college that I went to and, and really now like coming to this point of looking at what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to follow Christ? And it's, on one hand, it is so different than how I grew up, and on another hand, it's it's no different. And what I mean by that is, I mean we talk about all the rules and the godliness, and you know what are we teaching our kids? And I mean, you know, there's one hand, it's like we're teaching them we don't want them to screw up the way that we screwed up, right? And on the other hand, though, I mean, we're not teaching them what it means to to have a, a real relationship with God, what it means, the, the grace and mercy. Um, I don't even know if this makes any sense, man, but it's just, I, I, I think about how I grew up and, and looking at life today. And it's so different to me. Like my parents would be not happy that I go to islands and I have beers. And I, I, you know, last Friday, my buddy, I told you this, we talked about it on the podcast. My buddy and his wife are going through some issues. And I'm like, hey, dude, let's get together. So we got together last Friday night. Uh, first time that it was just him and me and not, uh, you know, me and my wife and him and his wife. And we just talked, man. I mean, we got real. And it takes a lot for this guy to open up. So, I mean, we were there for a couple hours and and um, finally opened up. And we're like, yeah, we got to do this more often. And, you know, he's I'm probably the only Christian friend he's got. And, you know, that was over a beer. And honestly, it would never happen if it wasn't over a beer. Never. It would never happen. 
Well, we, we were talking about this, weren't we, Pete? We're like, you know, it used to be that people called the pastor for stuff like that. People would be like, oh, I got to talk to you. It was either a counselor or the guy would pick up the phone and, and call uh, the church. <laughs> See, I, I think, think the, the problem, time- the reason why I always thought that was crazy, like when you mentioned that on last week's podcast, you're like, yeah, you know, normally someone would call the pastor. Hey, can you help my buddy? They're, him and his wife are going through problems. It's yeah. probably because I grew up with a dad who was a pastor, and I think to myself, why in the world would you call him? <laughs> I mean, yeah. You saw behind the curtain. I, saw, I lived behind the curtain. I mean, not that my dad was bad, but I mean, when my mom and dad got into arguments, which was a lot, I mean, they were like sparks flying, man. And, and yeah. I don't care what they say today. Oh, we weren't that bad. Whatever. You guys <laughs> fought a lot. So don't give me that crap. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, it, it, nowadays it's changing where p- there's not that same. And this is a good thing. Um, there are no priests. There's no high priest in the church except for Jesus. We don't want people to, to we don't want a priesthood. There's a priesthood of all believers. And when you have someone as a leader, it means that they're the servant. So, you know, often when people ask me to do stuff like that, um, I'll say, well, why don't you go and do it with them? You know, that's that's kind of where people start going, oh, well, I thought we paid you to do that. This is the great thing about a church plant. They realize we ain't paying this guy squat and <laughs> have to do jack. You know, um, there's this this new kind of in a church plant where hopefully if you're doing it right, people are using their gifts already and they're waking up to the fact that, hey, man, you know, what? it's I, I am in this guy's life for a reason. And, uh, and, and when you guys are planning, you get an opportunity to completely retrain, uh, a congregation that has been jacked up into just, you know, looking admirably at the guy up front, you know, as if he's like a God, you know, um, you just, you know, do it right, man. Just start empowering your people, get them to realize that they can do that. Like Jesus said, he turns to his followers and goes, Hey, you think this is hot? You guys are going to do greater stuff than this. <laughs> hmm. I dig it, man. I dig it. So, um, moving uh, moving along. I know we kind of started this out in reverse, but there's something I got to bring up on this podcast that normally we would have brought up at the beginning and killed, you know, valuable podcast time on. So we're moving our screw around window today to the end. We have to because <laughs> we had Hugh, and at least he was a real person. Like you know, with Philip Yancey. In all seriousness, we couldn't make jokes. I mean, yeah, he's about ready to yeah. talk about suffering. They, did you call him Phil Yancey? No, it's Philip. I didn't call him Phil Yancey. Why would I call him Phil Yancey? Okay, I was just checking. Did I? It sounded like you did. See, now I got to go back and listen to the podcast. But you, know. you have to edit it now. You have to like stop it right at the O and put "ip" on the end. <laughs> <laughs> we should have told him when we interviewed him. That's what we're going to do. Don't worry, Phil. Ip. <laughs> we'll just we'll edit it. It's gonna, we'll it's go good. back and edit. But um, anyway, so here's what I gotta I gotta bring up. I, I gotta share this with people. If you do not listen to the Through the Word app on your cell phone, <laughs> on the website. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Uh-huh. Or on your iPad, you absolutely must download this app. It's called Through the Word. It's a free app. It doesn't cost you a dime. And what it is is every day um, there is 
a five to ten minute summary of a chapter of the Bible. So they're going through the entire Bible one chapter at a time. And Chris Langham, who's uh, you know uh, one of the uh, co-pastors there at uh, Refuge Long Beach, this is his baby, his project. He's been doing this thing for years. So right now they have Leviticus. Now we all know what just a rip-roaring book Leviticus is. But ironically, that is Peyton's favorite book. So Chris has Peyton going through Leviticus. And they are absolutely comical eight-minute summaries of each chapter of the book of Leviticus. And you, you just have to go back and listen to these things. So I, what what are you up to now, by the way? Do you know? Uh, I think 13 ran today um, at the time yeah, of recording. Yeah, I'm actually did. on 18. Um, I'm a week ahead. I'm always five chapters ahead So um, from where it's running. But they're fun to do, man. They're funny. It's been kicking my butt. It's a lot of work. Like, But uh, like Leviticus is one of those books that I, I've literally – probably like cracked it open and been like, you got to be crazy. Why am I going to read this? First Dude, of all, it's like, it's the through the Bible killer. Like anyone who wants to read, the, Hey, can you shut that dog up? That's your dog. Who, <laughs> pretty soon it's going to be like my five-year-old walking in my baby crying, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I mean it, it, anyone who wants to read through the Bible, it's what kills them every time. Because it's like, okay, well, you know, we're not doing sacrifices. We don't, you know, I don't care about the bull, you know, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the this offering, the that offering. But I think the thing that I like most about it is, first of all, you make it fun and exciting. And secondly, you relate everything back to Jesus, the foreshadowing to Jesus. So that's that's the uh, the broad overview here of what I had to comment on. Here it comes. Here it is. All right. So if you haven't read Leviticus, there are some really interesting things. And this is airing, uh, let's see, today was 13, and this is Friday. This airs on Monday, this podcast. So if you're listening to this on Monday, Tuesday has just got to be a rip-roaring good day on Through the Word, and I can't wait for it. So you sent me a copy of a text correspondence between you and Chris Langham. <laughs> and this is, I'm, I'm going to read here word for word okay. yours to Chris. Now, what you got to understand is that there um the reach of through the word is like far bigger than our podcast. I think there's something like over a hundred thousand downloads a month. Yeah. Uh, thousands a day. Listen to this, uh, the, the chapter. So, um, with that, they've got very specific rules on what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. Like apparently one of the rules is don't burp while you're recording, which you actually make a joke at, at like, I don't know, chapter five or something. You're talking about trespasses. You're like, you know, the rules from through the word say don't burp when you're recording. And then you go burp and you go, that's a trespass. <laughs> like <laughs> You're pointing out all this stuff. And I mean, it's just like one gem after another on this thing. So yeah. there, there's a reason why after my Twitter handle, it's Peyton Jones punk. Yeah. Keyword being punk there. So, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, th there's a lot of delicate issues coming up here in the old uh, book of Leviticus. Like chapter 12 was, you know, how much of a rest you got to give your wife after uh, she's had a kid and then before you get to send the troops back in, if you know what I'm saying. And so 
Chris Langham, who runs this thing, is always like so um, you know concerned about what you put out there, what you say, because he's like you know there are families that sit around the breakfast table and listen to this thing. So you know you've got to be careful. And so they're they're always kind of like on edge with all your recordings because I mean you're you're on edge. But here's the text correspondence. This is Peyton Jones uh, texting Chris. Hey, Chris, we may run into problems for Chapter 15. Most of it's about semen and vaginal discharge. Woot! (laughs) You actually put woot! (laughs) You may want to tell those moms around the breakfast table to tune out on that day. And then the funniest hashtag I've ever seen in my life. You wrote hashtag mommy, what is semen? Oh, man. That was funny. I literally could not believe that when I saw that. I'm like, this is just classic. And then it was his instructions on, you know, well, I knew that was coming up. I mean, what are you going to do? So I just don't want to know what's going to happen when they go through uh, Song of Solomon. Dude, I'm telling you, like, seriously, I've been vetoed on stuff, like, repeatedly. I'll listen. I'll be like, oh, they took that out. But, um what was the other one? There was another one where um, can we have the unedited the files? Maybe we can make the unedited files of Leviticus available to our listeners. Yeah, you know what? I haven't. They told me save everything, and I I haven't done that. So can we that call it the band? Awesome, the band files. It'd be just like my marketing. Oh, it'd be great. The audio great. files banned by through the word. I'm I'm trying to remember what was the one I I got vetoed. I had to re-record because it was. Um, they made you re-record one because they didn't like it? Yeah, what did I put? It was something You about... know what I would tell them? I'd say, Oh, you know... it was when I was talking about orgies. Because uh, in the dietary restrictions, he tells them like a couple chapters later, hey, this is so that you won't, you know, like I mentioned, like, you know, the dietary restrictions is fine if you're, you know, Pagan Bob invites you over to dinner. But, you know, halfway through the barbecue, people start taking their clothes off, you know? And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, I, I mentioned, Hey, this is, uh, I think on one of the earlier ones, I do the, you know, um, a disclaimer like this and nobody tells you, you know, super fast disclaimer. And it ends with, uh, wasn't that on it? I thought that might've been on chapter 11. What's that? I remember you talking about that. It was either from you telling me or I listened to that one. Right. Yeah. One of them, I, I had to, I had to re-record it because we had to take all the stuff about sex and orgies out. So, uh, you know, it was, it was quite a bit shorter. I think that one was like six minutes, but anyways, without I, more would, people, I, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you take it out? It's in the Bible. If parents are sitting around with their kids, they're going to have to explain it sooner or later. Yeah, no, I did a word search. Orgies is in there quite a bit. You know, it's like, I mean, it's not Chris Langham. You got, you can't go editing the Bible to meet your, you know, breakfast uh, table conversation. Oh, it's so funny, dude, because uh, who, who is it we were talking about? Um, we were talking about uh, something about where we talked about, um, you know, having stones or something like that. And someone goes, can you say that on a podcast? Remember that early on? Yeah, we were doing that? I don't like, remember can you say who that? it was. I'm like, hey, man, if Paul can say, I wish they'd go their whole way and emasculate themselves, <laughs> we can say that. You know what I mean? So that's in the scripture, baby. Besides that, but, we've already got enough haters. What's one more? We'll take oh, but it. dude, the one the one about semen. I mean, that whole chapter, man, it's packed full of nastiness. And uh, I think that's chapter fifteen. <laughs> I was just like, I got no wiggle room here. Like, I got no way. And I actually say on it, you know, I they might throw it back at me, but I actually say something like, um, in in the recording, I say, I have no other way to say this right now. <laughs> that's know? the best. 
So I'm just saying, come out and say semen. You know, mm-hmm. there's like no other way to say it. So, but it's it's fun. And if you get a chance, you know, if uh, if you want to download, you go to throughtheword.org or you go to iTunes. You can download the app. It's through the word. It's a free um, app. And yeah, it's got a really fancy picture of a Bible and a piece of flame. Pretty pretty hot graphic, actually. Really nice interface. Um, and Chris is the master at this. I mean, I'm at it, you know, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, the, the, if, if it were the circus, right? Like he'd be like the lion stacked in pyramids and all the, impre- you know, people swallowing fire. Chris Langham is a master at this stuff. He is like, they're just people. Uh, my mentor was the master of the 10 minute gospel sermon. He could go to an old folks home or hit the streets and he was the master in any situation. He could drop a 10 minute gospel sermon that had people crying and repenting. He was a mat. He was super gifted. Chris Langham is, was born to do through the word. You listen. I just listened to his second Corinthians. Absolutely phenomenal. Hmm. And, uh, I, and you just think, oh, man, I, I can't do this. You know, if, if this do, if that's what I have to do, this guy's just so good. And um, so anyways, but nobody wanted to do Leviticus. And I have to say, I've learned a lot doing it. And uh, it's been fun. So go ahead and check it out. And it's also great to. Uh, give to non-believers. It's it's a great. I, I actually think the future of um, Bible teaching, or or you know, uh, these eight-minute summaries. I I think there's a lot in this. It's not preaching, but it's definitely a way to get people biblically literate and get them reading the Bible. I think there's a lot of mileage of what Chris has put together. Yeah. Do you know if it's available in other countries? Because we've got a pretty big international audience. It's got to be right through iTunes. It is. In fact, he's linked up. This thing is linked up with uh, version and Transworld Radio. So this thing is super connected, right? And um, what he's been telling me is give us the transcripts for translation. So if it's not already being translated into other, other languages, it's definitely uh, on the way to being. That's kind of funny because um, humor doesn't necessarily... <laughs> you know, translate all that well. So yours might be kind of interesting. I was just thinking about the UK. I I was thinking about where they speak English, like the UK. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think think a British person would listen. The Welsh would dig it. All the Celts would dig it. The Scottish, Irish, and and Welsh would think it was awesome. You know, the Leviticus ones. The English would be like, oh, rather. Oh, I'm sure. Those snobs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Well, hey, man, that's uh, that's about all we got for today, right? That is. We're, we're about all right. Well, hey, that was cool. So uh, if you didn't kind of pick up on it already, the uh, the second half of the show is really just filler after we were talking to Hugh Halter and our screw around session. So <laughs> I really just wanted to talk about little videos. In fact, I really wanted to like have clips and play clips from it. Dude, we should do that next week. Because we what if you called um, you called little girls uh, little sin factories? That no, was a great I line. did not. I call them sinner factories. <laughs> Let me be clear. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> There's actually a world of difference between a sin factory and a sinner factory. Yeah, man. In Ooh, the context yeah. of they how make you little said sinners, it. you know, so they got to be purified for X amount of days, and you know, childbearing was part of the curse. God's like, I'm going to make this harder for you to bring. Uh, other other sinners like you into the world and so there's gonna be a lot of pain and blood and you know messiness and you know that's that's kind of a picture of who we are right pain blood and messiness that's what we bring to this world and uh you know so god puts it in the ceremony that 
you got to atone for that, you know? So, you know, at the same time, I, I bring up the fact, you know, cause you can get back yourself into a theological corner. I bring the balance that the scripture says, you know, don't focus on the fact they're sinners, um, children are a blessing from the Lord. And it's, it's an opportunity for God to show his grace, love and mercy each time a baby's born in the world. This is someone God loves and boom, boom, boom. So that's where we go with that. I dig it, man. I dig it. Well, all right. Cool. Well, hey, this has been uh, Hugh Halter, Peyton Jones, and uh, Pete Mitchell on the Church Planner Podcast, at least for the first half with you. And uh, we've been reminding you, if you want to reach ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going, buy flash, and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music